0: Well, let's all pray together this morning. God, there's a a lot of people here this morning that um, you know the motivations behind why we've come. Like Cain and Abel, some of us have come with pure hearts, truly prepared for worship, and maybe some of us haven't. And God, this is an opportunity where your Spirit can provide that loving nudge, that gracious correction that would allow us in this moment, unlike Cain, to receive that correction and to peel our hearts open to receive the Word. That your grace and your love your son Jesus Christ would be poured out into us that we would be filled with your spirit that our ears and our hearts would be attentive and attuned to your love to your authority that we would respond in humility God help this time of worship not to be about us help us like those magi to truly make it all about you We ask, God, that you would transform us into the likeness of your Son, that everything that we do, every moment, every action, every thought of every day would bring honor and glory to your name. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is going to be our third week in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, as I began this study, and preparation for this series, it's been quite an experience for me as a pastor is because I think it's so easy, and I've preached this from the pulpit, is that familiarity breeds contempt, right? Familiarity breeds contempt, and it would be really easy that it's like, I have a master's degree in theology, I know this stuff. I got a piece of paper on the wall that says I'm, I'm qualified to stand up here. It would be really easy to do that, but that's not the approach that I took, is that I opened it up, and I started with Matthew 1.1. Matthew 1.1. And I came across one of my seminary books, and it said that those first two words, Biblios, and then a cognate of the word Genesis, of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, and it changed the whole direction of this sermon series. It should change the direction of our understanding and our application and the way that we live our lives. So we started off the Gospel of Matthew with this idea of being equipped because that's, that's the end result, what Matthew's going for is if we were to cheat a little bit and we were to fast forward all the way to the end in Matthew 28 and Jesus' great commission is that the whole point, the whole purpose is that Jesus came, that he was born, the incarnation was to redeem and save those of us who are lost. But see, when he does that, he doesn't simply rapture us up to heaven, right? At the moment that we confess our sins, that we repent, that we're blessed with the gift of faith, we don't just disappear, go straight up to heaven. He leaves us here to fulfill his mission because he has a purpose for each and every one of our lives. And when we look at Matthew 28, Jesus, oftentimes in Christian circles, we call that Jesus' great commission. Jesus tells those 11 remaining disciples to go out and do what their name says, disciple. And I would challenge anyone... I'm in the minority Is that the translation of Matthew 28 isn't to make disciples It's to disciple it's an imperative verb the word make isn't there And I've shared this with folks on many occasions is that when we focus on making stuff in churches, especially we get really good at making stuff you tell me pastor kevin your salary will be commensurate with the number of baptisms that you do. With the number of professions of faith, with how many kids we pack in during VBS over the summer. And all of a sudden it becomes about how many people we can pack into this place. How many times we can fill up this baptistry and run folks through it. Because of our sin nature, even when we were redeemed, it still clings to us. And so when Jesus came, he wanted to provide us with certainty of who he is and what he wants us to do and to be as his people. And then we looked at Matthew chapter 2 last week, and some of you were absolutely shocked when we spent time in Sunday school, and I said, do you realize... That those magi, those wise men, that it doesn't say anywhere in scripture that there were three of them. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture that they went to Bethlehem. And it was absolutely shocking to many of you. Well, I thought, and people were looking through their Bibles, and well, maybe this is a bad translation. And let me see yours real quick, and we're scrambling. Because we see the Hallmark cards, right? And they've got the three guys crowns on the camels and they're going to jesus's manger his birth and there's a star in the sky and if hallmark said it then it has to be true i've got a bad version of the bible i need the hallmark version no you don't you got the right version of the bible we just need to actually read it and not take for granted what it says and what it teaches see we're equipped to worship just like those magi and this week, as I turn the page to chapter 3, and it's talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' herald, I'm going to read that for us. But the message for today is about repentance. If you got a bulletin with you, I'm going to read in just a second, but I'm going to kind of give you the outline really quick up front here, as it says that we need to repent of our misunderstanding of our misapplication of our misguidedness and our misanthropy. That last word is kind of a hard one, but we're going to get to it. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3, the whole thing. And I want you to listen. And then as we go through the sermon and the Holy Spirit provides that correction and that instruction, see if where we land at the end is where you were at the beginning. Matthew chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John himself had a camel hair garment with a leather belt wrapped around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. When he, that's John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, "'Brood of vipers! "'Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath?' Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't suppose to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am unfit to take off his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus answered him, allow it. For now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Matthew chapter 3. There's a lot there, folks. There's a lot there. Repentance, that's what we're talking about today. That's what the Word is teaching us. That's the instruction provided for us. Why do we need to repent? What is repentance? Shared with those little kids just a moment ago that repentance is the idea not of feeling bad, not of weeping. Your parents tell you, I want you to go and apologize to Lavelle for punching him. Okay, Lavelle, I'll go over Lavelle really sorry that I punched you. And we say it and we go through the motions, but what your parents really need to do is to tell you what you need to do is you need to repent. You need to have a change of heart and mind so that it actually changes your behavior. See, because what's going to happen as soon as mom and dad aren't looking, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk back over there and I'm going to act out again. See, there's this problem ingrained in every single human being who ever was, except for Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect man, God, eternal deity, eternal son, sin. But I think, I don't think, I know that we really miss it that we minimize the impact of sin. We don't really think that sin is as bad as the Bible says it is. We don't. Even those of us who think that we do, we don't. It's systemic. That means it's across the board. It's pervasive. From top to bottom, from stem to stern, every single cell, fiber, and ounce of our being, riddled Demolished, devastated by sin but yet as we say oh not little Johnny not little Susie just a little angel they couldn't have been the one that did the graffiti on the wall at school they're not the one who tore up that stuff they couldn't possibly be but see as a parent you realize yeah it could have been Susie it could have been Johnny it could have been my kid Sin. Culpability. Culpability is the idea that we're actually responsible. Had a conversation with some of my students at school this past week, and the question always comes up. If you spend any time with students in a youth group, universally across the board, across the world, the question will always come up, but what about, what about those people? What about the people on the island somewhere in the Pacific? What about the people in a forest somewhere that the gospel, and there's never been a missionary, there aren't any Bibles in their language. See, we deny the reality of sin and our culpability. 100% responsible. I can't blame Bump, I can't blame Mike, I can't blame Bud, I can't blame Travis or, or Jack, I can't blame anybody but Kevin. I certainly can't blame God. But that's what we want to do. And one of my students asked that question, and I said, why are you asking it? I'm just curious. And I know, it seems pretty harsh, and many of my students there at the school will tell you, Mr. Kelly's pretty tough. See, because we're not doing our kids any service, any justice, if we just kind of sugarcoat things. If we just kind of give them a pass on everything. Everybody gets a trophy, everybody's an A student. Minimize the idea of sin. And so I kind of challenged a student. I said, "Why? Why do you want to know?" "I'm just curious, Mr. Kelly." And I gave a little bit of what my wife's company calls effective pushback. I challenged him. See, because that's what teachers do. And I said, "I don't really think you're curious." think you're looking for the the loophole what do you mean mr kelly see because if you deny our culpability then if there's somebody off on an island or in a forest at some point in history or time maybe god dropped the ball maybe for those people maybe for that guy see nobody went to them how can they possibly be responsible for responding to a god that they don't know And I said, oh, so you haven't read Romans chapter 1. Because Romans chapter 1 tells a very different story. It's that we're all without excuse. The fact that we can see and we can sense, the fact that we're born into this world, every single one of us, culpable, and we choose to reject God. But we're resistant. We're resistant See, we did a sermon series, Connecting the Dots, and we talked about this woman, Sophia Lahakam, we called her. Lady Wisdom, right? And this Lady Wisdom, she stands at the gates of the city. She stands at the gates and she calls out and she says, I'm over here. If you'd only come and if you'd only listen to me, I could change your life. You get off of that path of fools and destruction, and if you come over here listen, and humility, that you could experience life. Say, yeah, it's not really that bad. I don't really need it that much. I just kind of need a little bit of a change. I need to maybe reinvent myself. I maybe need to just read a book about how to win friends and influence people. That's all I really need. I don't need a radical change of a a sin-riddled heart so what we do is we actually are resistant. You neglected all my counsel, Lady Wisdom says, and you did not accept my correction. It's because we reject. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and correction, but fools despise. And we say, nah, that's not really true. It's not really true. The fear of the Lord, I can know stuff. I can be wise. There are wise people out there, Confucius, Buddha, they were pretty wise. I mean, they even put their sayings inside of cookies. They're pretty wise. Correction. See, but scripture says that fools despise all that because they despise God. What it amounts to is rebellion. And see, that's what we're talking about today with repentance the idea of needing to repent, that John came forth as the precursor, as the herald of Jesus, of the Messiah, and he said, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Do I really need to repent? Do I really need a change of heart and a change of mind? Or do I just need to kind of little get a little bit of an attitude adjustment a little bit of course correction i'm pretty close i just need an i just need a, a different version of me kevin 2.0 the struggles of fools weary them see we went through this in the book of ecclesiastes your translation may read a little bit different this is the hcsb And as I read through that verse when I was preaching on Ecclesiastes, the thing that really struck me is, see, it sounds pretty innocuous. It seems pretty simple. When you first look at it, the struggle of fools weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. I don't know if you have many encounters with fools and you're day in and day out. See, if you own a business and you're surrounded by fools, you can just fire them, right? If you work for me and you're a fool, I'm just going to get rid of you. We can't do that in the church. See, because there are fools that are present that need to hear the gospel. There are some of us who are fools that even though we've heard the gospel, we haven't responded. There are some of us that have heard the gospel and even though we've accepted Christ and we've responded, we really haven't given our lives fully to his mission and his authority, rebellion. So today we're talking about repentance because there's this thing called total depravity. See, we can't do anything to fix our situation. We can't think or finagle our way out of it. We have to surrender to God. So our first bullet point in your bulletin there is repentance of misunderstanding. In verse 9, John the Baptist, he's not the nicest guy, it doesn't seem, his rebuke upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees because when he sees them, his immediate response is he calls them a brood of vipers. That's what we're going to start training our hospitality team here at Poetry to do. When people walk up to the front door, we're just going to say, you brood of vipers! And if they keep coming, then we're going to know they're okay. No, we're not really going to do that. See, because these Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders, they came not out of a sense of repentance. They came out of a sense of curiosity, but we're going to get to that in a second. Misunderstanding. We all fall into the same boat of sinner, needing a savior. The fear, of the, law, of the fear of the Lord is required. Well, what do we misunderstand, pastor? What am I misunderstanding? As I touched on, we misunderstand sin the nature of it, the extent of it. We misunderstand depravity. How far gone are we? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride, and Wesley's laying there, and he goes to see Max the Magician, and he's saying, there's a big difference, Billy Crystal says, there's a big difference between all dead and mostly dead. And see, we as human beings, we think that we're just mostly dead. We're not all dead. See, I can actually do something to remedy my problem. Because if we really believed we were all dead, I think that our lives would look a lot different. When we read about who Jesus is and what it cost to go to the cross, to die for our sins. See, if there's another way around it, then why would he have done that? We misunderstand sin. We misunderstand depravity. We misunderstand Christ. We misunderstand Scripture. We misunderstand the church and its mission. So oftentimes, I stand up here, I stand in Sunday school when I'm doing uh, lunches or coffee or breakfast with folks within the church and doing discipleship, and I bring up the mission of the church, to pursue, win, disciple, the lost, the deluded, the disillusioned for God's glory. And from time to time, I get people to say, yeah, that's really good, Pastor, that's really good. You now, I'm, I'm glad that's what y'all want to do. That's not what we want to do. That's who we are as a church. So almost a year ago, we came up with this covenant membership agreement, this document that says, this is who we are as a church. These are our beliefs, about Scripture, about Jesus, about identity and sin. These are our beliefs. These are our values. This is our mission. This is who we are. I've had folks say, yeah, I think that's really great, but I don't really want to sign that. And I shared with some of our leaders this week, I said, I've come to a place where I really don't know that I understand that. I don't know that someone wants to be a member of our church, but they're unwilling to sign a document that describes and clearly articulates who we are. This is who we are. I want to be a member, but I don't want to sign the document that says who we are, who I am. Our misunderstanding. And see, if you have a misunderstanding about sin and depravity in Christ and scripture in the church, how can you possibly have a valid application? See, the problem is in verse 10. John pointed out to the fact, he said in verse 9, and don't presume to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. They had a misunderstanding about what it was to be saved. I can trace my genealogy back to Abraham so I'm good. I don't actually have to repent. I don't actually have to understand anything. I've got it memorized, but I don't really have to understand it. Have you ever been around someone who can just spew off scripture? They've got it memorized backwards and forwards, anything, any, any circumstance, any conversation with you, you have with them, and somehow they seem to be able to weave scripture into it. Completely out of context, they can recite a scripture verse about whether or not you want to choose between pancakes and waffles, and they'll find a scripture for it. I don't really think that's what that meant. Oh, that's just because you're not there yet, Brother Kevin. And that's how these Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders were. And John said to them, Don't suppose, don't presume to say within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And in verse 10, he goes and he talks about the misapplication. Even now, the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You guys don't understand the mission, is what John's telling them. You think that God's blessing is just for you. We're God's chosen people. We don't really have to go out of our way to really try and reach the Gentiles. We don't really have to try and love anyone except for the fact that God said in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 that you will be my chosen people. You're my treasure. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you're not reaching the other nations, what are you doing? Well, well quite honestly, God, we're worshiping the idols of the other nations. That's what we're doing. But we'll kind of hold on behind our back when, you know, the Sabbath comes along. When, when, we're, when we're bringing our sacrifices to the temple, you know, we'll kind of have those things in our pockets because we just kind of want to go through the religious routine. The misapplication and see as a church for us today is do we really understand the mission i 've said this many times from this pulpit is that I think the the plight of Christianity of modern Christianity today is the idea of personal salvation personal salvation that 's the pinnacle of the christian experience i 've been saved. And now I get to go to church to just kind of hear a, a really warm and fuzzy sermon from the pastor and I get to hear the, the music and it just, it just makes me feel so darn good. And then I just go out into the world and whew, that just got me going. It makes me feel so good. Well, what do you do with it? Well, wh- I don't understand the question, Mike. What do you mean what do I do with it? Have you shared the gospel with anyone? Well, well no. It, it, I, I, that, that's what we have a pastor for. I just invite people to church, and if they don't come, that's their fault. There are are podcasts, and there are sermons available on on YouTube and Vimeo, and they're all over the place. Why do I have to do anything? Because it's all about personal salvation, right? No, it's about being the church, and it's about fulfilling the mission of God. And that burden, privilege, is on your shoulders, Misapplication. Why are we here? I have a friend that sits down from time to time and says, "Kevin, as a congregation, we just need to be reminded: Why are we here?" I asked that question to those young people this morning. Why are we here? Hmm. Hmm. Why are we here? And my challenge to you is: Is why are you here? is if you don't know Christ, then you can come before him and hear his word through the preaching of it, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you can hear it and you can be transformed, that you can be brought from that prison of sin into a place of life. And all God's people said, "Mm mm-hmm. I shared with someone this week, I said, why is it that when we have baptisms in our churches, I, I used to be part of a church back in San Antonio. Very large church. There would be like two, 3,000 people on Sunday. And when we would do baptisms about once a month, the pastor would stand up and he would say, if, if you're a friend of or if you want to support the person who's standing up in the baptistry, then you can go ahead and stand. And I felt like an absolute idiot, but every time there was a baptism, I stood up. And there would only be three or four other people in the congregation unless people invited their whole family for that Sunday. Why are the other 2,970 people sitting down? Is that or is that not your brother in Christ? Have they or have they not been rescued out of the prison of sin? And if you can't rejoice, if we can't rejoice about this, what's the problem? I don't I don't really know that person. You know, or we give them the golf clap. Good for you. Good for you. Misapplication. Why are we here? See, if you're not here in this place to hear the word, to be encouraged, to be transformed. I told someone this week, I said they asked me, they said. Kevin, now now, do I have to sign that membership covenant agreement to, to come and attend on Sundays? I said, absolutely not. You do not have to sign a covenant membership agreement to come here. See, there's a difference between being part of our congregation and being a member. You can come and you can sit here and you can hear the word preached and you can be part of our Sunday school as long as you want. And our prayer, my prayer, our prayer as a church for you is that at some point... That the Holy Spirit would reach down, as it tells us in Ephesians, not by grace or not by work, so that no one can boast. It's by the grace of God that you're saved, that you'd be transformed. But if you want to be a part of the mission of this church, Poetry Baptist Church, to pursue, win, disciple the lost, deluded, and disillusioned, that's what we as members do. And if you want to get in on that, then I'd encourage you to do so. Pastor, I want to be a part of that mission. Because if you don't, and you've been here for a while, and you say, "Well, I I really like game nights when we do them. I really like every once in a while you coming on Wednesday nights and and seeing some folks, and kind of having the meal on on Wednesdays. I kind of, I kind of like, I kind of like the people." Bit. That's not the reason to come. Come and to be a part of what we're doing here is to advance the mission of God, to advance the mission of this church. It brings us to our next point, misguidedness. Can you forward that for me, John? In verse 7, John the Baptist says, when he saw many of the Pharisees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Misguided. See, folks come for a lot of different reasons. I want to read a quote for you. This is from John Piper. If you don't know who John Piper is, you can look it up. John Piper writes in one of his books, he says, I'm wired by nature to love the same toy I start to fit in. I start to love what others love i start to call earth home before you know it i'm calling luxuries needs using my money just the way unbelievers do i begin to forget the war i don't think about people perishing missions and unreached people drop completely out of my mind i stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace i sink into a secular mind That looks first to what man can do, not to what God can do. It's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset misguided. See, those Pharisees and Sadducees, those religious folks, they came to John's baptism and they had every opportunity. And John recognized why they were there. They were misguided. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us, how many of us when we come to church, if it's for misguided reasons, I had someone tell me this week in a phone conversation, they said, you know, Kevin, church at poetry just isn't fun anymore. Church just isn't fun anymore. And I think that if you think about church as primarily being a place for fun, then this isn't going to be the place for you. But if you think about church from that mindset that John Piper just articulated, we are at war, brothers and sisters, and if you're coming here to be entertained by me or simply to have fun, you are in the wrong place. See, because there are people who are dying in sin. They're dead. They're not having any fun at all. None. They may think they are. woo Life is a car ride. It's better to burn out than to fade away. And then when we come alongside them and we say, you can come to church and you can have fun here too. They're like, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. This whole Jesus thing doesn't seem so bad. Hang on a second. I got to do what? I got to I gotta be transformed. I got to change. You guys just pulled the bait and switch on me. This was supposed to be fun. I don't really have to change. There's not a problem. Art, How dare you say that to me? Misguided. And our last point for this morning, misanthropy. Misanthropy, I had to look this word up, so don't feel bad if you don't know what it is. I figured my other point started with miss and I had to find something that kind of lined up as a good Baptist preacher. Misanthropy, it means to basically be bitter towards other men, humankind. An angry soul. I was having breakfast with some guys this week and one of the fellas mentioned, he said, you know, I know this guy at work. And he said, you know, he's just a little rough around the edges. He's just a little rough. And I think that's a really nice way for us to really point out the fact that that's somebody who really hasn't been transformed by grace. See, because if you're still a little rough around the edges to the point where anything that anyone ever has to say to you that your knee-jerk response is hatred and malice and bitterness. I don't want to hear that from you, Vincent. Don't you try to point something out. Don't you try to come across alongside me lovingly and tell me that I got a speck of dust in my eye. Doesn't matter what your approach is. Doesn't matter the fact that maybe you've been working on that person in their heart for over a year now. Doesn't really matter. But they're still bitter and they're angry. John the Baptist pointed out that that was the case with these religious leaders. He pointed out the fact that not only were they angry, that they really didn't care about humanity, that misanthropy, is the fact that they weren't producing any good fruit. What they were doing, and tells us elsewhere in Scripture, they'll cross land and sea to produce a single convert. Not to get people to really know Christ, but to make a convert. Is that what we're doing with our church? Are we, is our goal to make converts? Or is our goal to really introduce people to the risen Lord and to see them saved and transformed by grace? The gift of faith that comes from the Holy Spirit misanthropy how do you treat people do you really consider others as more important than yourself Matthew's gospel begins about the certainty of who Jesus is in chapter 2 it tells us this amazing story of these magi who travel for it seems like up to possibly two years a four-year round trip in order to just have a moment of worship in the presence of Jesus. But see, their whole lives, the entire journey there was worship. And then they got to worship Him in His presence and then they turned around and they went back home. Do you ever wonder why? Why they didn't stick around? If that was Jesus and they just embarked on a two-year journey to come to His presence and worship Him, why didn't they stick around? See, because Matthew's gospel is about being equipped, going out, loving and serving the Lord, and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These people, these magi, traveled for two years, worshiped for a brief moment, and then they turned around because they knew that there were people who were still stuck in sin back home. And God could use them in powerful, mighty ways back where they were from and all along the journey. You ever think about that? So why are we here? What's our mission? Do you really want to be equipped to repent of misunderstanding, of misapplication, of misguidedness, and misanthropy? See, there's humility that's required. Today's all about repentance. Our time of invitation is coming in just a few moments. And so, I just want to ask you, have you come to a place of humility? Have you come to a place of humility in your life where you've truly accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you really grappled with your misunderstanding of sin and your depravity of what Scripture says and what it teaches us? Maybe the misapplication of it, your misguidedness. Maybe there's still that, that misanthropy, that, that bitterness, that hatred towards other people. I've talked to folks that have said, you know, I love God, it's just that I really don't care much for people. And that's an indicator that there's still a problem in our hearts. Repentance, repentance always reveals the glory of God and results in worship, Always. Repentance. If you haven't done it, today's your opportunity. If you've never cried out to Him, if you've never called out to Jesus, you have an opportunity today. You have an opportunity whether or not there is one person here this morning or whether there's a crowd of 5,000, it doesn't matter. So you have an opportunity to respond some of us would say, well, I'll do that when I get home. See, that's a misapplication of God's word as he says that you need to respond right here, right now, today. Not only for yourself, but it becomes a testimony publicly in front of other believers that God's still at work. He's still changing lives. So I'm going to ask you, invite you to come forward during this time of invitation. We've asked the question, why? Why are you here? Are you prepared to worship? You've been equipped to repent, and so now the question is, are you willing? Are you actually willing to repent, to not just feel sorry, not to feel bad, not to shed a tear, to, but to actually hear the voice of God and to respond, to turn our stiff necks and to worship at the foot of the cross.